I was made, I was made for nothing else, nothing else but to worship. country are demanding, and even the black people in the whole world are demanding, is that you keep your word. You told us we were free. Well, then show us that we're free. I've been walking with my face turned to the sun. Weight on my shoulders, a bullet in Oh, I got eyes in the back of my head Just in case I have to run I do what I can when I can while I can for my people While the clouds roll back and the stars fill the night That's when I'm gonna stand up, take my This month, join us as we journey through the timeline of the tribulations and achievements of African-American history. Here we have Mary Wheatley that's put a lot of things together in the foyer. Uh, if you come in the foyer, they see that. Mary Wheatley did that. I said Mary Wheatley and the gang. She got a gang. Ladies be, be moving around here. And I think Sylvia has something for the kids as well. Because if you forget history, you'll repeat it. And we almost got there. Let's look at Luke chapter 17, verse 5. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. When you find it, please stand. Let us read God's word together. You know what? We in church. We're going to read from verse 1. There's 10 verses. Y'all got how many channels y'all got at the house? Like 5,000? All right. Just 10 verses. Look at verse 1. It says, he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to him through whom they come. Speaking of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and false teachers. It'll prevent people from having what he's teaching in this passage. It would be better for him if a milestone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea, than he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. <laughs> the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> That's why I didn't want to read from verse 5. It's like, help me. Can't do that one. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted into the, into the sea. And it would obey you. Which of you having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, 
will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down and eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too. When you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Dear God, we thank you for your word as we go through this series of messages, God. I pray that you will open our eyes to see what is required of us now in these times. Why would you let us be in it? And if since you did, what are you requiring of us? So Lord, we end up faithful, not overwhelmed, anxious, hopeless, and non-productive. But we come out like soldiers, fighters. Bless this message, we pray. It's, so make sure it comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I remember the days being preached to that in this family you go to college. That's what I was told. In this family you go to college and that's just it, so you better get ready to go to college. I graduated from high school. I know that my parents were blunt about it. We're going to get you to be ready for college academically, but financially, you're on your own. <laughs> you're on your own. What's this big college thing if you're going to leave me on my own? I never forget that because I knew what that meant. I had to go to work. I remember working one time three jobs in the summer. Three jobs in the summer. Because I had to get enough money outside of this little government money and little scholarship I earned, I had to get the rest of it before school started because I was a pre-med major and with labs and everything else and soccer that I was playing that helped me get a little money, I ain't going to have enough money to finish the year. I had to do it all during the summer. I used to get three hours sleep. My car broke down. I used to have to run from one job to the next. Just say, hey, you know what? I'm supposed to be working out during the summer. So here it is. <laughs> Work out. I remember constantly doing that to the point where somebody came to our school and the person said to us at our school they said hey if you were to come and work for us you would get to sell encyclopedias and if you sell these encyclopedias you will make more money selling encyclopedias than you ever can I said oh well that cut out three jobs <laughs> so I'm going for that job I never forget getting that job and selling encyclopedias and then when I arrived in Mesquite, Texas, selling encyclopedias. They dropped me off, and all I heard was the N-word up and down the street. Next thing I know, there was a cop car sitting outside this person's house that I just knocked on their door. I'm spread eagle, put in the back of a cop car, and I did nothing wrong. All I was doing was a college kid selling encyclopedias. But I was thrown in jail. I never forget thinking, my dad going to be in jail with me because he was screaming. <laughs> I'm in the back in the jail cell 
And I was intimidated because there was a bunch of bikers in my particular cell. And they were talking about what they had done and they were scaring the life out of me. These were some big guys. And I was just 19. I heard my dad's voice and I said, oh my God, he's going to be back here with me. And he was fussing and going on. Next thing I know, I was let out of jail. I, as a matter of fact, I was at the airport one day and they said, you were charged for, for this. I said, no, I wasn't. I didn't do nothing. I just went in and they let me out. I was being stopped at the airport and asked about it, so I got to go fix that sometime. But I remember that day how helpless I was. I remember sitting back there going, I am helpless. I'm literally here. I, and thank God for my father, because I remember calling him and I said, Dad, I don't know why these people picked me up. All I heard was the N-word walking down the street. I'm selling encyclopedia. I got a badge around my neck. I followed all the protocols. You knock on the door and you back up to make sure you don't intimidate the person as soon as they open the door. I did everything. Why, why am I locked up? Click. Next thing I hear is this voice. I know my house had to be 25, 30 minutes from the police station, but for me, it sounded like he was there in five minutes. He reminded me that no matter how grown I think I was, he was still my source. He was still somebody that without him, I am 18, I think I was 19, because about 19 or 20, I was this 20-year-old in the back of a jail cell, can't get no lawyer. I'm a broke college student. I mean broke, broke. You know, and I'm young folk double the words to emphasize it these days. So I'll do what they do. Broke, broke. I wasn't broke. I was broke, broke. You know, uh, my, my mom was, I mean, she religiously made sure I had something to eat, wash my clothes. I mean, she was going to make sure she does her part. I was mad at her because she took a second job to make sure her kids stay in college, sent us a little money to make sure we eat. But can't pay college tuition. But that woman, we fussed, mom, mom, you can't keep working two jobs. She had a bus station late at night. Shut up. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> she did all of that. Without my mom and my father, I don't care how many jobs I had. They were still my source. Even in my marriage, how I'm loved is defined by those two people. So how I feel loved is not how I accept love. I had to figure that out in my marriage. I had to figure out my marriage. When do I feel loved? And when I started figuring out what that means, it ended up back there. Those two people defined love for me. You see, in our lives, we many times are so, feel so independent, we forget the source. We forget the source because what money does, education does, resources do, is to make us feel like we have so much, we don't need nobody. I see neighbors, and I do the same thing, go in their house, wave. But I remember the storm in Houston. And what impressed me was I looked out my door and I saw my neighbor taking his rake and cleaning the trash off my yard. Went outside and said, thank you very much. You don't have to do that. He says, no problem. He just went around. See, neighbors started to recognize that it's more than we need one another. With that retention pond in the back of our house coming on both sides of the house, we recognize we need one another. 
in the days and times that we live in, Satan wants us to think we're so independent, we got so much that we could do with whatever resources we have, we got a nice house over our head, a roof over our heads, we feel we got jobs, we feel we got anti-lock brakes and belts and all these different things, but not until you're at the traffic light in a wreck. You got to depend on that ambulance to come by. You got to depend on that person to tell the truth that what actually happened. Then you realize how much we need a source. But Satan tries to steal that by giving us so many resources. We don't think we need God. So many times when I was sitting back there and listening to my dad, Fuss and my older brother, who always would jump to the rescue when he, when he saw his brother in trouble. Tall guy, I said, man, you could have given some of the height to me. I mean, you could like six five. You could have spared at least three feet, three inches, you know. Well, he's six five. Showed up there. Maybe that intimidated the cops because he ain't no six five skinny person. He's six five, standing behind my dad who's five nine. He showed up, and he came back there. He got me. But the thing I love about it, my dad never asked me why. He just saw me get up the next day with that bag on my back to go sell encyclopedias. And he says, you still doing that job? <laughs> no, sir. I'll turn it in today. You see, my dad never asked me any questions. That blew my mind. Never asked me how I got in trouble. It wasn't about him thinking his son was bad. It was just knowing his son needed him. He didn't come and say you did something bad. He just said, you needed me. We got it squared away. I'll take care of the rest. Find a different job. You see, today, we forget the source. God sometimes has to humble us by allowing us to have cancer or allowing us to have diabetes or allowing us to have an illness we can't seem to get rid of. So now, all of a sudden, we need somebody. Sometimes God allows us to have that hoopty that we wish we could get rid of. God sometimes allows us to, <laughs> to struggle to find a job. Some God sometimes allows us to struggle to just to make it mentally. He makes a struggle to bring us back down to ground that you need a source. You, you need a source. You were made from the dust of the earth. You were made to need to eat. You were made to need to breed. I never made you independent. You could not be born without two people. You, I made you to need somebody. I made you, made you to need some help and support. There's no way you can exist without it. And many times, we in this country, you go to third world countries, which is an embarrassing statement to make of other people. They understand community. We grew up as African Americans needing community. You can't tell us that now. We think we got it. We're even embarrassed when you say Black History Month. Affirmative action. Why? We forgot that we needed one another. Jesus Christ has to remind the disciples that the source is everything. Or you're nothing. You have to remind them that. Why? They're walking around with a man if you're sick, he heals you. They're walking around with a man if you need tax money, get it out of a fish's mouth. They're walking around with a man. If somebody's dead, he raises them from the grave. 
They're walking with a man who explains the scriptures so well. They're going, whoa, we never knew that. We went to the synagogue and listened to the people speak. We didn't get it like that. This man teaches the word of God. Great. They now see Jesus Christ walking on water. <laughs> We're fishermen. He walks on the water. We need fish. Cast it on that side of the boat. He told Peter to cast the net on that side of the boat because that's the, that is the time of the day the fish are not on that side of the lake. The fish are on the opposite side of the lake, and that's the lake Peter fished on. Knew from the time he was a boy. He flipped it the script, told him to come to the wrong side of the lake, and then he caught most of the fish. Which means that Jesus Christ, all night long, made sure the fish wasn't where he was. All night long, he redirected the fish to the wrong side of the lake so he could catch it to make a point. Peter, don't fear. Follow me. I'm your source. That's not your source. When he died and Peter neglected him, where did he find Peter? Back to what he thought is his source. So Peter had to learn, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. I finally understand he is my source. You see, today, when Jesus Christ has put us in our homes, when Jesus Christ has threatened, allowed our jobs to be threatened, when he's allowed Satan to run rampant around this earth, taking people's lives, when he's put us in an environment where we have to need him as a source, is where we learn today, as I continue this series of messages, how do we operate in these times? What is he saying in these times? So we come out of it better than we went in. We just don't come out of it. We just don't see things better. We go, yay, it's better. I ain't got to worry about the virus. I ain't got to wear this crazy mask every day. No, 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 no. Now we, we go back in it. As believers, we are the ones who need to learn from this. What is he saying to us? He's saying to us that the fundamental thing we need is faith. I know what y'all are going to say right away. I don't have that kind of faith. I don't have the Moses faith. I don't have the Abraham faith. They're going to want to say that. I don't have the Elijah faith. They're Jews. They're Jews because Jesus Christ tells them something that ain't got nothing to do with nothing that's going on in that time about forgiveness. Why? Why would he bring up forgiveness? He brings up forgiveness because the law is a conditional covenant, meaning if you do something wrong, you're dead or he punishes you. So they don't know about forgiveness. They thought they were being gracious to forgive somebody three or four times. That's why when Peter responded, Seven times, Peter thought he was being generous. Peter thought, man, seven times. Perfect number, seven. Peter was making a guess at this because the Jews thought three was good enough. Because they see trials in three. Just why Paul, Jesus Christ would die and raise from the dead in three days. They see a lot of things in threes when it comes to trials. So they would tell the person for the forgiveness, if the person did them something wrong, violating the law, did them something wrong, I forgive you three times. Peter thought seven times. Jesus Christ says, you never stop. So it wrecked them. It totally wrecked their world. What are you talking about? A person could keep coming to me, coming to me, coming to me over and over again, and I just keep forgiving them, forgiving them, forgiving them, forgiving them, forgiving them. Are you serious? We can't do that. Increase our faith. I can't manage that. What is he saying? A person did you wrong. Vengeance belonged to me. So you got to forgive them until I choose to be vengeful towards them. 
You can't fix it. What? Trying to tell me if a person was to come in my yard and steal my one cow. Think about it for their days. My one cow that milk, give milk for my family. There ain't no Kroger's and all these places. That dairy cow gives them milk to take care of their kids. You tell me if a person come and steal my one cow? He says, yes, the law takes care of that. The law says that they have to give you retribution. So you could go to the people and give them retribution. And when they get retribution, that's it. That's what the law allows. So if they come and steal my next cow, you got to wait for the law to give them retribution. You can't go do it yourself. So I just keep buying cows? Yes. Oh, God, you're crazy. So that person comes to your desk and treats you crazy. That person is racist. If that cop was to come by me today that put on the light in the car, took so long, it became evening. By the time he finished frisking me and thing, all this other stuff, I had a trainee. I was doing so well, I had a trainee with me that day. The trainee was panicking. Panicking. He said, man, why you put me in this? I didn't know nothing about this. Why they drop us in this neighborhood is the question you got to ask. Not me. He drove us around that neighborhood, people mocking us along the way. I mean, they mocked us. They didn't have no problems with the N-word. Put his lights on in the car. He's going to make an example out of us. If I saw that cop today, what would I do? Treat all cops bad? No. He says, that's my job. Your job is to do what I say when there is injustice. Do what I say when there is injustice. <laughs> need to do this yeah you could speak up you could march but you can't become unjust with injustice you have to forgive every time because you're depending on me to do what I say and that's why he started talking about a slave let's take a look at this because we think that we have to have the faith of this person, the faith of that person, for I can grow spiritually and become all these wonderful things. He's going, no, you don't. You're not the source of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Who's the word of God? I am. So you're not the source of faith. So you have to have the mindset of what the source is. In order to live at the level of a Moses, at the level of an Elijah, of a level of a Peter that grew to learn faith. First thing we need to learn is faith only takes a microscopic starting spot. Just one little bitty step is all he wants. So what is he talking about? Let's take a look at this. And the first thing it is, in order for this source to work, it is a microscopic start in point it's not, it's not a it's not oh i now have the faith to do this i get so mad at my pentecostal pastor friends man everything for y'all is faith if you had faith you wouldn't have disease right now what so you're telling me that job didn't have faith when god is calling him righteous and the just shall live by faith the righteous live by faith. So you're telling me the man who God called righteous, who the Bible is saying is righteous because he walks by faith because Job had no law. Job is the first book of the Old Testament, not Genesis. So you, you talk about the first book of the Old Testament, a man that didn't have one Bible verse in his life, he just chose to worship God. It never says that Job was a Jew. 
So he's choosing to trust God. You're telling me that man didn't have no faith? That's why he got a disease? I got to stop this mess. That is not what the Bible is talking about. The first step of faith is all that's required. Why? You got to get saved. You got to get saved. Why does faith involve in salvation? Faith is involved in salvation because you can't see Jesus. He's not walking around on earth. You got to depend on what somebody else said about Jesus. And believe what somebody else says about Jesus. You got to believe that the people who wrote this Bible that you can't see are people who were walking with Jesus. The Moses on the Mount of Transfigure, Moses on, on the Mount Sinai, you weren't there. So everything they're saying, you got to believe what they're saying and hope it's true. So since you hope it's true and believe what they're saying is true, that takes faith. And the only person that could bring that into your heart is Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's the only person. Why? He's at the point of salvation. He doesn't listen to our words. I can say I'm saved. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. The Bible says, no, 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 no. I don't get impressed with your words. I get impressed with whether or not there's a transformation in your life. Because when I come in, I make you a brand new creation. So the person that is saved, you would see certain characteristics in their life that look like me. And if those characteristics in their life don't look like me, that person is not saved. That's why I always tell the single ladies around here, if somebody shows up to you with a Gideon Bible, run! You know where he got that from. I understand. So if he say he come into church, look for his Bible. If his Bible says Gideon, run. Change chairs. Because faith is implanted by Christ. Because he looks at the heart and he sees that the heart is sincere. He sees that the heart is real. He sees that the heart is true. And when he sees that the heart of the person is true, he comes in and gives them the ability to be able to believe in the rest of the Bible. That's it. So he says, it just takes a mustard seed. Because it starts there. Walk with me today. This passage may seem simple, but it's not. Because he's giving an implicit message in an explicit story. So we got to figure out what is the implicit message and make sure that whatever we say implicitly is true to the text. So here's the first thing he's saying to them. He says to them, in order to do something great, in their world, forgiveness is great. Simply because, as I explained, they only say three to four times because of the law. And the law is unconditional. So the law being, I mean, conditional. So the law is conditional. They don't have to forgive anybody. So they're just saying nice things by saying three times. So he's taking them way beyond it. So they're asking, I need faith for that. He determines a response by that by saying the impossible. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you may say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted. First question is, that's impossible. God, you can't do that. A mulberry tree, the, the roots are like everywhere. It's not, he purposely picked a mulberry tree because the mulberry trees were popular in his day. They were all over the place. So if he picks a mulberry tree, he doesn't explain it. That's why he's not explaining it in the verse. And, he, and when you look at a mulberry tree, the roots are just everywhere. So you can't uproot it to start with. And if you uproot it and try to put it in a lake, it's not going to live. 
So what he's saying is, if you have this little bitty faith, you could do the impossible. That's what he's saying. So I'm saying there's a message here, but it's implicit. So we got to study the text to get the explicit message and the implicit story. And uh, uh, Watch this carefully. He says, uh, watch what they're saying to him. Luke is writing years later after Christ rose from the dead and the church is established. So he's saying the apostles, the apostles. Why would he bring up apostles? You, you, you would hear disciples, followers. Why all of a sudden he got twisted and said apostles? He's saying apostles because he's saying these are the people who saw Jesus. We didn't. These are the people who heard him speak. We don't physically hear him speak. These are the people who walked behind him and saw him walk on the water, saw him raise the dead, saw him do all these things. And he's sending apostles, these people with a message from God. And he's saying, you of all people are required as apostles to be able to do what Christ says from just a little bitty seed of faith. You could do the impossible. Why is it impossible? They're going to take this Jesus that they put on a cross and beat up and everything else and tell them he rose from the dead when they already lied all over Jerusalem saying he didn't. You got to go and tell these people about a Jew who rose from the dead to go save them when for years you've called these people that are Gentiles dogs as Jews. What you have is an impossible job. Since you have an impossible job to do, I'm telling you it's not impossible because all you require to have is a little beady piece of faith. You're not required to have a whole lot. Your marriage may look impossible. That's not the marriage that's the problem. It's where your little beady piece of faith. You said, man, I got financial problems. That ain't your problem. It's where's your little beady piece of faith. God, I have issues with depression. It's not your depression. It's whether or not you got a little itty-bitty piece of faith. But we got to define what this little itty-bitty piece of faith looks like. First, it's salvation. Can't be, if you ain't saved, you don't have the source to generate the faith. It's impossible. Church don't save you. There's a whole lot of people who go to the hospital, stand in the hospital, walk out the hospital, and still be sick because they never let the doctors work on them. I watch people in January at the gym. I haven't been at the gym in a while. My wife will shoot me. But I watch them in January, all dressed up. You could always tell the folk that don't go to the gym regularly. Their tights match their shirt. Their shoes match. They got on gloves. I could always tell the ladies they ain't going to be there for long. Their hair is well fixed. Some of them even have their makeup on. You know they ain't doing nothing. They're standing at that machine talking, girl. I'm saying, man, why don't y'all move, please? About three months later, you don't see them. Why? They went to the gym, but they weren't interested in what the gym does to your body. It hurts. When you start lifting weights and you did it in a while, it hurts. When you're over 60... It is pain. It don't hurt. Understand. Many of us could come to church, but don't mean church work on us. Because we come in and we go, I don't have that kind of faith Pastor Ken is talking about. And the Bible's going, no, 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 you didn't need all that kind of faith. You just needed this one. 
And so we blame church. Church ain't doing nothing for me. You ain't doing nothing for the church to get the faith to work properly. And I'll prove it. Just like Jim ain't helping me, you don't do nothing when you get there. This doctor ain't doing nothing for me. Do you follow the orders? Here's what he's saying. You the apostles, you say I'm your Lord. Watch it carefully. You say I'm your Lord, meaning a particular word for Lord here means you will direct my life and tell me what to do any minute of the day. And I'm an apostle sent by you. Well, he's saying this is perfect. Since you're an apostle and I'm Lord, this is perfect. Watch what he says right here. And the Lord said to them, watch it carefully. Luke is not messing up. He says, the Lord said to them, if you have faith like a mustard seed, look at verse 7. Look at, verse, look, at verse, look at the bottom part of verse 6. He says, you would say. You would say. What is he saying? What does he mean by you would say? He means you would be so confident that whatever your problem is you're facing in your life, you would hold it on the inside. You would verbalize it. And the reason you verbalize it is because you know it's going to happen. He's talking about a level of confidence here. Because the faith is not dependent on you. It's dependent on what you're going to say. And what you're going to say is what I said. Because faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God. So if you're going to say what I said, and you're going to say it out loud, then that says you have confidence in the person who said it. Let me get, you know, I never forget this day. My son, uh, you know, he, uh, he so wanted this scooter. Wanted the scooter. I ain't had no money for no scooter. You know, when you're looking at your bills, things really take a good perspective when you're broke. We need gas. We need to pay the mortgage. Scooter. What? So all of a sudden, just like, hmm. I said, well, he's a kid. He doesn't know the difference. He just wants a scooter, and I'm his dad. He's not mad about the bills. I didn't take him up and down, left right about bills and all that. I just said, son, because I see how bad he wanted it, I'll buy you this scooter. My wife is like, I could always tell him my wife doesn't really agree with something. She's very discreet about how in front of her kids, not the kids are grown, she just go. She don't even think about it now. But when they were young, she'd just put her hands down and, and look to the ground and she'd make a few circles. And then she'll slowly, when I look around, she gone. That means, brother, that's on you. I'm feeding my babies. Hallelujah. God bless you. She gone. So my son looks at me and he goes, do you promise? Because he knows in my dictionary, that means it's over. Once I, I tell him all the time, why was that a big deal with me? Big deal with me is that God's word is promises. If I could teach them at a young age that a promise is never broken, guess what I'm teaching them? God's word is never broken. That's all I was thinking about. Okay? That's all I was thinking. Honest to God, that's all I was thinking about. So I said, I promise. He looks back at me again. You promise? Little bitty Paul Jr. Hey, Dad, you promise? Yes, I promise. My wife long gone by then. So I remember... Every little thing I got, I put aside money. He said, Dad, when am I going to get my scooter? I said, I never said you can get it tomorrow. <laughs> I said, I promise. <laughs> okay? So don't be tripping. 
So I could save the money, finally, because my, my wife and I was on this thing about credit cards. So I saved my money, got all the stuff, and I bought him this scooter. But the funny thing was, after I said I promised twice, I always like to go outside and sit on the driveway to watch them play. He's going up and down the neighborhood, evangelizing the neighborhood, telling everybody, my daddy promised to give me a scooter. I'm going to have a scooter. I'm going to have a scooter better than you. My scooter going to be, look, I'm going to take, I never told him none of that stuff about a scooter. I'm like going, man, I might bring up a, you know, a hood scooter with some fancy looking crazy rims up in here. You may be going on there. I'm thinking the whole time, I'm thinking, I ain't going to buy no $2,000 scooter. This is going to be a scooter from Walmart, brother. What you talking about? But he's just talking. I'm, I'm, my, my rim's going to do this. And on the back, he got this whole imagination. Because what he did was he looked up and saw the scooter out there. And he made me promise in his mind he could tell everybody he's going to get a scooter. Because his dad promised. God gave us 7,000 promises in the Bible. When he said it's finished and got nothing else to tell you. It's done. I give in every word to the disciples. I taught them. I let them see the words come out my mouth. I let them see that when I spoke, stuff happened around me. If I say that I am, I am the resurrection, I wait for Lazarus to be in the grave four days, then I rose him from the dead. So not only did they hear what I had to say, they saw what I had to say. So they know for sure that whatever I'm saying works. It's done. Why do we walk around not confident? When the source has spoken and he wakes us up, he keeps the earth spinning, he sustains and watches over our families when they go out and come in, he protects us. We, this mask ain't protecting us, he is. The only reason we wear it because he tells us to. He watches over us, he gets us off our operating tables, he removes cancer from our bodies, he's doing all of this stuff. And every day we get up, we see him operating. Hebrews chapter 1 says every day when we see the earth spinning, the sun shining, it's all because of his words. It's not shining and going on because of scientific structures and radiuses from the earth to the sun and the rotation of the sun and the gravitational forces. He says, no, no, God is the one who sustains it by his very word every second of every day. That's what Hebrews chapter 1 says. So every day we are seeing him functioning. We can't trust what he says. What he says, the mustard seed of faith, when it's microscopic, it first shows up in the way you talk, the way you act, the way you talk, and how you move around with confidence based on what you believe that you could boldly say. What do we say when things are messed up in our lives? Do we talk boldly? God got this. Told the staff for two years. <laughs> Pastor, man, this virus could last for a long time. Well, that's why he may have been talking to us about the word endurance forever. What are you saying? Endurance is just keep the weight on, believing you're going to find strength from the source so that it doesn't wear you out. That's why he says, don't become weary in well-doing. He didn't say, you may not get weary. He says, just don't faint. You see, understand, folks. It starts off by how confident do you speak. I tell them, we're going to come out of this better than we went in. Pastor, how you know? I have no clue. 
Do you know how it's going to work out? My job is not results. My job is just to talk because I got a good source. That's it. If, if you know a person is a multimillionaire and said they're going to drop $50,000 in your account, what do you do? You know they're a multimillionaire. You know they got money. Huh? Now, you know, there's money and there's money. You know, there's house and there's a house. I'm talking about money. And you know they got money. And they say, oh, don't worry about it. We drop you $50,000. I remember working for Dr. Evans and the person says, I'll have $50,000 sent to your ministry. We walked out of there. We could do this. We could do that. We could do that. Because we know the person flies on a Learjet. The person does this. And the person just said $50,000. $50,000. We think, man, he could have given us more money than that. <laughs> we, he just kind of made us happy today. Look at us. All these black folk going wrong. $50,000. It wasn't nothing for that person. Look at this. How do we talk? That's what he's saying. He's not saying go to some mulberry tree and say, move. Like some people tell me, well, I'm going to go to this person. I'm going to tell them, move. I'm going to go to this car. I'm going to put my hands on it and say, God, going to play me in this car. He ain't saying that. Where's the verse? You end up with a car note and a whole lot of stress. I've seen people do that junk. He's not saying that. He said people say, I've seen people come, well, Pastor Cannon, God said he could, I could do all things through Christ. Well, all is defined by him, not you. And he said through Christ. Folks playing, praying over their husbands and wives while they're sleeping. Hoping for a miracle when he wake up. No, God, he the same person that I prayed. God said, well, okay, I, I, I told you what to do in this marriage. I didn't say I'm going to fix him first. I didn't say I'm going to fix her first. I told what you to do. All right. I know I ain't got all day, so let's move on. So he says this in verse 7. In verse 7 he says, it's directional. It's directional. The source that determines how powerful the faith works through you has to direct you. Are you with me? It has to direct you. So you are walking blind. Stop asking God, well, tell me how this is going to work. He's saying, none of your badness. That's what he's saying. That's why I don't want to ask him. God, I'm going to get back from Africa's sake. I don't ask him that. I just say, God, you promised to never leave me nor forsake me when I serve you and do what you tell me to do. You know, my wife is stressed out. You know, my kids are stressed out. And maybe some of the people in the church are stressed out. The rest will be hoping I die. So I don't know. But at the end of the day, Lord, it would be nice for the sake of your ministry and your testimony of, of your kingdom purposes for your name's sake. I appreciate it. But I'm gone. I don't have to control the results. I just have to decide it's directional. He the boss. And that's why he's saying it here in verse 7. Which of you having a slave? You ain't got no slave. This is not a good sermon to preach in Black History Month and talk about slaves. But I'm preaching it anyway. I didn't plan it that way. Look at what he says. Which of you having a slave? Watch the words carefully. 
a slave. Which of you apostles having a slave? How many of them have slaves in their day? Not many, but quite a few did. And they can't stand being slaves. Who was he talking to? Jews. What were they? Slaves. So if they can't relate on the ownership side, they can relate on the receiving side. Because for years they were slaves. What rights do a slave have? None. Could a slave get up and say what they're going to do tomorrow? No. Does a slave own everything, anything at the house? No. Does a slave get to say, well, after my job performance, would you give me a raise? No. Does a slave, when they come in from doing their hard work, do they get a pat on the back? Oh, you're such a wonderful person. Do they get that? No. Do they even get to eat at the table where the master eats? No. So Christ picks a slave, says, master. The reason why, see, our faith doesn't need to grow with us. It needs to grow with him having more impact in us. Okay, let me put it this way. You, you can get a water hose or a fire hydrant. <laughs> it just depends on how you want to receive the water. Or how much water you want at one time. So if I choose to be a fire hose or a fountain, then I get that. But if I choose to say, God, what do you want me to be? Be the water company. Fine, I'll pour water in you. Take care of others. It's not the source that's the issue. It's the receiver about our faith. But God, I don't know. I feel so angry when these things go on. Going, so was I. I was angry. I turned tables upside down. But I did it out of the zeal for God, not of my own selfishness. <laughs> God, I get anxious. People are talking crazy about me. I was in the garden against somebody praying all night. What do you think that was? I was anxious. What did I keep saying? Not my will. Thy will be done. Because I'm his slave. He's my master. I will let him determine how the source, how the source can impact the receiver. Not the receiver telling the source. So he chooses to say slave. Some of us just don't have that mindset. When God speaks to us, God, hey, hey God, you know, I got to do my thing. It's just me. It's just how I is. Well, God said, you're going to be is. You're going to be is like you is. But God, I don't like what's happening in my life. Well, you keep being is like it is. You don't let me do what I need to do through you. You keep telling me what you can do, what you can't do. So since you were telling me, you were making me your slave, and now you be my master, it ain't happening. So that's why, you know, I don't have to determine how much faith I have. Those people say, Kenneth, if you had enough faith, man, we could do this. I don't have to have all that faith. I just got to say, God, what you want me to do? Okay, God, I'm going to say you're going to do it. I'm going to believe you're going to do it. Let's keep going. That's it. 
that's what he's saying in this text. He's saying, having a slave, and he's saying, the working easy, what's his work? You think dealing with anxiety, dealing with stress, dealing with a bad husband or wife, dealing with a crazy job, dealing with health issues, easy? He didn't say it easy. What's what he's saying? It's plowing, tending sheep. You know, it's like the ten sheep unplowing their day. You got the oxen and you got to hold on to the plow and you, you, got, you got no something excavating the land. You gotta sit on a nice machine watering the ground. It's a dry climate. That's why you have Pentecost, a water day. I'm not saying life is easy. I know Satan is rough. I know Satan comes up against you. I face him every day. Every day. I know he wants to destroy me. I get it. It's right there, Nehemiah 6. Anytime a person chooses to stand, they go after that person. I get it. He wants to tear my family down. I get it. They tell you, grandkids there, they don't get to leave from their papa until we all pray together, God, keep watching over my family. We could be in the middle of a store, in a restaurant. I don't care. God, you brought this family back together. Oh, my Jesus, would you please do it one more time? I get it. He's saying this is hard. Plowing. Taking care of sheep. That's why they didn't like sheep herders. They stunk. They're out walking around all day trying to find some water holes. It could take them a week to get back home. Never had a bath in a week. Taking care of sheep. Getting the wool off. Taking stuff out of their nose. Because bugs go in their nose. It's a nasty job. Sheep herders were not liked by the Egyptians. That's why you can see Joseph on one side. His brothers on another side. And the Egyptians on another side. They don't like them. They stunk. So this stuff could make you stink. I get it. Why do you think we're still trying to have church in a pandemic? I understand many of you struggle. He's telling me you do. And if I don't care for you, he walks away from me. Ezekiel 34, read it. Look at what he says. It's plowing. Will you say to him when he comes in, in the field, come immediately and sit down and eat? No, you ain't going to say that. It's not like you expect me to reward you because you went out there and you kept Jesus this week. I did the Lord all week. I prayed. I did my devotions. I called on God. I asked God to watch over me. I blessed my food in the lunchroom. I didn't care who was looking. I cried out to God. I said what God needed to do. I did it all week. I said, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, to the boss man. And now you want to tell me that because you did that, I need to just bless you right away? That don't work that way because you're still a slave. That didn't change anything. You're still a slave. You still got to do what I say. So if I bless you or don't bless you, are you going to stop? If you stop, then you're not a slave. You don't take my direction unless I bless you. Unless I give you something wonderful, you're not going to do what I say. Then you're not a slave. Because I got to bless you in this city, bless you in the fields, bless you when you come and when you go. And if I don't do it, then God just don't love me. He says, no, you're in my household. You're my slave. How's I not blessing you? I gave you faith. I woke you up. I took care of you. I gave you a sheep to plow. I gave you a field to 
you everything you're working at. Everything you put your hands to, I provided it. You couldn't go out in the field unless I gave you everything in the field. How am I not loving you? How am I not blessing you? But does faith get turns off if you stop being a slave? You turn the lights off. Not a lack of electricity. You just got sick of life. Because it's hard. And he says, don't be surprised when you experience different kind of trials. That something strange is happening to you. So God is only good when things are good? You know, some people remind me of raising kids. I don't know if y'all raise kids. You know what? Kids think you're the best parents when you say yes. If you keep saying yes, you're a wonderful parent. If you say no, I can't stand you. You make me so sick. They don't tell you that. They just look at their face. That's why I don't like the face. I just got, one of my granddaughters got in trouble on uh, last night. Don't give me that face. It's over. It's a wrap. Trying to fix it. I'm good with trying to fix it. I don't say you have to have it perfect right away. But you got to fix the face. You know what they're trying to tell you? I hate you right now. If I could actually tell you what I really feel, and I was big enough, I'd probably knock you out. Because you have to say yes, 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 and then you are wonderful. But we all know a parent that does that develop unproductive, irresponsible children. We all know that that happens. We call God our father. Well, he's giving us the opportunity to be a father, to teach us what a father is like. That's why he said a man is Christ in his home and the wife is the church. You got a model right up in there. And he is saying to us, I can't tell you yes all the time because I'm your daddy and I could see Satan. I could see 20 years from now. I could see 30 years from now. I could see 40 years from now. I could see you in heaven and all the blessings I have for you when you get here. And sometimes I say no because I love you, not because I hate you. If I say no, will you still be my slave? Because if you're going to still be my slave when I say no, you just said you're committed to the source. Whether the source says yes or no, you the source. You the man. You that other job over money. You can't get off of work. Okay. You may go in the office and close the door and say a few choice words or go in the restroom and stink the place up. But at the end of the day, you showing up the next day, guarantee you, we'll do that over money. Oh, yeah. Look at verse 8. I'm running out. Well, I've been out of time. But y'all got to hear this. Because we can't get any better if we don't trust the source. We're not going to get any better living. We're just going to be coming into church and going home. I'm not helping you. I'm not. I'm just helping you stay the same. And hope you give. So to me, I'm ripping you off. That's how I see it. 
I don't like that. Here's what he says. He says, verse 8, but we will say to him, prepare me something to eat, more to do. God, I want to do no more. Yep, there's more to do. More to do. God, I'm, God, I've been mad 30-some years. I've done a lot. God, I've prayed over this man. I've prayed over this woman. He's still the same. And then you start adding stuff during the month. And then you start changing her body later on. You keep adding to this. God, I change jobs. And there you go again, not listening to me. God, I changed doctors. And there you go again, not listening to me. What do we do when God tell us do more? Do more. Do what? More. The virus lasted another year past the cannings. What are you going to do? More. Hey. You only got the same amount of money. Do more. That's what he's saying. If you believe the source is whew, God, why are you doing less? When that slave comes in and walks up in the house, what am I going to tell the slave? After plowing and doing all the stuff in the, with, the, with, the, with the animals, yeah, I'm going to tell the slave, okay, fix me something to eat. What? Fix me something to eat. Get another slave to do that. I'm tired. No, he said a good slave, because it's nasty, goes wash up, clean up, and cooks, takes care of the master. Because that's a slave that respects the source. But a slave that don't go, <laughs> peace, I'm running away. I'm Kentakunte, out. Some Kentakunte Christians. I don't know where that came from, but it sounds good. <laughs> I'm gonna start calling some of y'all Kentakuntes. I just, I just got a word from God. <laughs> Kentakunte Christian. That's a whole new word up in here. I'm gonna use that. And I must be a Kentakunte Christian. When Christ, when people say stuff, I say, oh, that may be a Kentakunte Christian. <laughs> Let me show. I don't know where that came from, but it came. I used to call some Christians. I used to say, honestly, I used to say some Christians in my mind. I, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. You say, oh, that's a teenage Christian. That's rebellious. You know what God is saying? Rebellious. I used to call them teenage Christians, but I got a new word. I can't say it's from God because I watched the movie Roots. So I can't say it's from God. But I'm going to say, can't the Christians from now on? We're out of time, but look at Ephesians chapter 4. I got to teach this. If Kentakunte Christians, I'm a new word. Oh, that's a Kentakunte. That's my new word. I ain't going to say it to y'all. I just say it uh, to those that I trust. <laughs> Why is he saying this? Uh, okay, y'all be patient with me. Life app is still going on. Let it run over today. I got to finish this text. It, it's really, it's, it's an, as I said, it's an implicit message in, in, that is explicitly explained if you take the time. When something is implicit, it takes more time. 
Okay? Because you can read this and just say it's a slave and da 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 No, no, he's saying a whole lot in here. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. That's what he's saying here. Look at verse 12. He says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Whoa. The pastor's job is to make sure people are working, doing more. Hey, the virus is going on. Do more. How could I do more for God? He's saying that's when you know a person is a slave and not a Kentakunte Christian. For the building up of the body. The person is focused on making sure the slave master house is doing good. Watch this carefully. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body being fitted and fitted and held together by every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's why he's saying more. What he's saying is, if you're a slave and you're depending on the source and things are just wearing you out, plowing, taking care of the sheep, hard work, difficult work, and you don't come in and the master says, I got one more order for you. Fix me something to eat. Watch it carefully. Fixing something to eat in their day is not easy. It's not going to Kroger's, getting this, putting this in, putting this frozen stuff in a microwave. No, it's killing something, plucking something. He's saying, that's why Mary and Martha had an argument. It was work. I want to go to Africa. And the, don't, it's the countryside of Africa. Don't be twisting up Africa, okay? Africa and the city looks like America. In the countryside is different. You know, so, you know all, this, all this welfare stuff. Countryside of Africa. I remember telling a guy, count the chickens. Man, why are you fussing me counting chickens? Count the chickens. Cannings. Man. We're going to this bishop's house. We get something to eat. I, I, he got some different kind of doctrine. We got to count the chickens. So he count the chickens. I said, when he's walking back out, I said, count the chickens. That's why he said, me count the chickens. Count the chickens. What's the number now? He says, oh, oh man, it's like four of them missing. How much was us to win in this bishop's house? Four. You just killed four chickens. This man gave up four chickens for you. To you, it's a meeting with the bishop. That man says it's a meeting with you, a person from America that he killed four chickens for. And then people you saw in the back, they didn't have no fancy stove. That's why it took you so long to eat. He was meeting with you in giving the person's time to cook. This is hard work. From hard work to hard work. Come to church work. You didn't say serve, work. You know what the word work means? You're the Dallas Cowboys and can't win. But you keep trying every year. Every year you put together a team and they are going through preseason workouts, private workouts, all of this stuff, and they come and they're still not in the Super Bowl. That's what he is saying. You're working, 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 but you're guaranteed the Super Bowl. I'm just saying, work. Your energy don't depend on you. Results don't depend on you. It depends on me, because I am the source. So that's why he said, I try to wrap up here, that's why he said, it is so comprehensive that if you don't respond to the source, stop saying you're a good Christian. You're a Kentakunte Christian. Hey, it's going to work for right now. It's my story and I'm sticking with it. He says, he says, he does not thank the slave. Verse 9. You don't thank him. 
when I get to heaven, God is going to just bless me because I was so faithful. To what? I went to church every Sunday. You're supposed to do that. I listened to the pastor preach for a long time. You're supposed to do that. They came to church and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Hey, God, I was a, I was a husband. I provided for my family. I took money to my You're supposed to take money to your family. That's what you're supposed to do. God, you understand. I was a good wife. I didn't leave the marriage. I worked for my husband. I did a, you're supposed to do that. But when I challenge you to do more, when I made you a slave, you had to be naked and barefoot in the kitchen. I'm pregnant. What did you do? When I made things hard at the house, it was tough. What did you do? Shut down, stay quiet, and walk around for two months not saying nothing? But you were still bringing a provider? What did you do? But I didn't change your health issue. What did you do? See, my source is so comprehensive. You had something to do you didn't do because you didn't feel like it. Therefore, you're not a slave. You had a choice to make. You could say, I am not doing this and keep going. So you're not a slave. A slave got to go. Watch this carefully. So you too, he now brings the story around. When you do all the things, verse 10, which I've commanded you, not the things that has to do with more. I commanded you to forgive, so you forgave. What was your attitude when you did it? I commanded you to do it 70 times 7, but how angry were you when you spoke and forgave them? You followed the commands, but what was your attitude like? He says, you're unworthy, slave, because you only did what you ought to do. You only did what you ought to do. You didn't do what you should do because you so wanted to, whatever you did in word or in deed, you wanted to bring me glory. Oh, you just did it with a gladness of heart. You just did it. Because I trust God that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly all I could ever ask or think. You could be in jail like Paul and write Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon with two soldiers next to you promising to kill you. Will you still write, be anxious for nothing? See, did he do what I say? Go to the Gentiles? Yes, but the Gentiles locked him up. Did he say, the Jews locked him up. Did he say, oh, well, I tried, God. I'm locked up now, but I did what you said. No, he sat in there and wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. We have a person who was beaten, treated like nothing, right as half the New Testament. Why? He didn't just do what was commanded. He didn't just go to the Gentiles and do what he's supposed to do to the Gentiles. No, he did more. Because he would say, whatever I do in word or in deed, I must let God be seated his excellence through me. That's what glory means. I must so let God be so seen in me for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's not I that live anymore. It is Christ that lives in me. He would receive the glory. Because that's a worthy slave. 
see. I want to challenge you today. Because for me, when I get up, God provided me air. And he allowed me to sleep through the night. He protected me. When I drive, I guess I've been driving so many hoopties in my life now, it doesn't matter what nice a car I drive. I still remember my hoopties. Because it helps me to stay focused. When I get where I'm going, oh God, you've made this better. Thank you. I see my grandkids walking. Oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Suppose they walked in here, God, and they were in a wheelchair. But I still say, thank you. Suppose one day they walk in and they're 19. They don't walk with you. But I still say, thank you. Oh God, see, son, growing in you, walking with you through the roughest time of his life. Oh God, bless him to be a slave. Oh, yeah, folks. Pastoring could be very easy right now, you know. Very easy. Put some cameras out there. Preach. Teach. Bible study. Say, we're, gonna, we're dispersed until the Lord decides. But no. I refuse to be that slave. Because I know the source. Never leave us, forsake us. He didn't say I wouldn't get weary. He just said, Cannings, you have no reason or excuse to faint. I wrote this conclusion, so it might be smarter for me to read it than to preach it. This is what I read. Without Jesus Christ, there's no salvation. There's no intercessor. There's no Holy Spirit. Without Jesus, there are no angels watching over us like we talked about last Sunday. Without Jesus, there's no blood to forgive us of sins when we sin. Without Jesus, there's no hope after death. Without Jesus, there's no rapture for the church. Without Jesus, there's no New Testament to the Gentile world. Without Jesus, in troubled times, can't find strength. Without Jesus, <laughs> the joy of the Lord does not become my strength. Without Jesus Christ, there's no hope for joy because I endured the trial. Without Jesus, when there's stress, there's no peace. Without Jesus, when I'm weak, I can't find strength. So to do it my way is to be nothing. To do it his way is better to be not an unworthy slave, but a worthy slave. Because I'm doing it for somebody. Listen up, folks, who loves me like a slave. Let us stand. I want us to be better. I want us to come out of this stronger. I understand that the Bible teaches me that you only know a person when the storm arises. 
only know a soldier when there's war. You only know a sailor that is a good sailor when there's a storm. I understand what he's saying to the disciples and the apostles is, you will know who is a worthy slave when this journey of yours is done. You will know who will be the Peter and the Apostle Paul. You will know who will be the Matthew. You'll know who will be the Mark when this journey is done. Not all of y'all are going to be listed. Bartholomew, where is he? They've done a great work. Maybe he just did what was commanded. What are you going to be? What am I going to be? I challenge you today to decide to be a worthy slave because you have a source that is a slave to you. A slave. Every day he sits at the right hand of the Father. A slave. Every day he's, the Holy Spirit and him are communicating to take care of us. Every day he orchestrates angels to be around us. Every day he makes sure his word stays alive. Every day he watches us walk out and protect us to walk back in. Every day he sees the virus and even if it impacts our body, he heals it. Every day he's our slave. How much more must he show us that he is a worthy slave? Let us bow our heads. If God so leads you, I want to pray with you that you would say, God, I don't know if I'm all the way there as a slave, but I sure like to give it a shot. If that's where God has you, come forward. Let me pray with you. If that's where he has you. Come forward. Let me pray with you. You say, God, I don't know if I can do all of that, but I sure like to give it a shot. I sure like for you to have that kind of reach into my life. I sure like for you to be able to move on my life that way I'd like to give that a shot. And I'm willing to adjust. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to grow through the process. I'm willing to, wherever you move me, I am so willing to mature through it. Come today. Say yes to God today. I know life is hard. It's not hard just for you. <laughs> it's not hard just for you, folks. I know for preachers, we think we land from heaven on Sunday morning. No, I'm I'm here all week. I get it. Come today. We're going to sing this song. Say, God, I want to be a worthy slave. I want to be what you want me to be. If you're at home, stand up at home and say, God, I want to be this person. I understand it's a journey. The disciples, they fail sometimes. Many times. But they still said, I'll be about my father's business. Come today. I'm available to you. My will I give to you. I'll do what you say do. Use me, Lord, to show someone the way.
I can't tell you I'm perfect in this area, so don't go there. There's many times in my life God has had to slap me and say, you know better. 